I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Welcome to Cybersecurity Interviews. It's back. After a long hiatus and a lot going on in my life, I am bringing back the podcast. In order to do so, I brought my good friend and colleague and data privacy and cybersecurity person of interest, Dan Ayala, to interview me. So over the next few episodes, we'll discuss where I've been in the past 18 months, what I'm doing now, and where I think this industry is going, and why I plan to leave it within the next seven years. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of Cybersecurity Interviews. Dan Ayala continues to interview me. In this episode, we're going to dig into how I started in cybersecurity, some of the defining moments in my career, my first computer, my early entrepreneurism, characteristics I look for in InfoSec, and some of the problems that I see with cybersecurity gatekeeping. Let's get to it. You'll be able to see that in the waveforms. <laughs> So Doug, one of the one of the truisms that I've come to really believe in that we are we are made up of all of the experiences that that we have had before now. That which makes us now is is the result of that collection of experiences. So if you had to pick two or three core defining moments in your life and your career that brought you to, closer toward a career in information security, what would those be? Uh, it, it's hard to frame it necessarily in the career. Um, it could be life events too. It's but well, no, in that I think that's it. You know, you know, with, with me having such a strong technology background, um, I think I'm very fortunate in my life to be paid to do things that I was going to do, whether I got paid or not. You know, so it's uh, it was an inevitability. <laughs> It was an inevitability, you know, and a lot of it was, um, you know, it was, it was funny as even I got hired from Splunk, they're like, look, we want, you, we want you to go out there, work with the community, connect with CISOs, understand their strategy, and, and really how products and vendors can do a better job. I was like, I was, I was literally going to do this anyway, but if you want to give me a paycheck and an expense <laughs> account, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but that's like, you know, I've been very fortunate to be able to do things I'm passionate about that I was going to, that I'm going to be doing. And you know, it goes back to the, the early eighties. Again, my parents being communications consultants were very, you would have loved my father. And I mean, he was so much like us in a gearhead. Like we, we talked about the Morant systems. He was an audiophile. He had all his cool audio gear, built his own box speakers, measured it. I mean, I, now I know where I have my obsession from, even though I said I would never be my father, but we all become, become him at one point measuring out. We either become the our fathers I, or our wife's oh, fathers. At the amount of time, I just got a new Jeep Wrangler and it came with an aftermarket head unit and it has the Alpine. I mean, I just sit there in the car going, no, 
six K's a little bit. I just balance like in my, I can hear it. Nobody else can, but mm -hmm. I know there's balance in it because I just had that. I grew up with like this level of uh, audio attention and it was really, it was attention, everything technology wise. And so we had VCRs, we had Betamax, we had three quarter inch and half inch. I just had all this crap around me all the time. So I was used to, like I said, you know, when, you know, you and I've talked about our, our AV backgrounds, it was, it was very mm -hmm. much in that. And I think again, coming from, parents that fundamentally looked at it from technology's enabler for people to do their jobs better. You know, it's whether it's audio, video, computer, whatever it is, it's, you know, we're, we're able to either get to more people, we're either able to communicate more effectively, we're able to create evergreen content that can be reused and has more meaning. Um, whatever the, the value of the message is, it can be amplified and enabled by technology. They, they were never like technology first. They're like, it's an afterthought, but the people, the message, you know, the message is the medium, you know, it's the very Marshall McLuhanisms that I heard in my house growing up. And they, they built that in. So I think, you know, we really go back to those days. And when, when the first computer I had was a, it was a TI-99A. Uh, my parents were working for Texas Instruments out of Texas. No, no. And we <laughs> had a, we had a, we had the computer was shipped to the house and they were doing some work on it about how it was going to. You know, PCs, and this is the very early days of these, you know, the, the PC wars of, for, for everybody that's now too young to even know this, there was, you know, patent infringement lawsuits over the BIOSes and that Compaq was, you know, with, with, with Microsoft, I'm sorry, with, with uh, IBM right. and IBM and its OS things. And Matt, it was just the, the early days and those days were really interesting because there was, it was much more disparate in the technology now than, than people think we have all these platforms. Had you only known and grown up in the early 80s, I mean, that nothing worked together. Even less. <laughs> but that all being said, it was a really exciting time to even be young, six, seven years old, seeing this stuff and, and picking up the magazines and reading about them. And so I, I started writing basic code on the TI-99 and there was an audio cassette recorder where she would record it and play it back. And there was games like Hunt the Wumpus and they were like really kind of just I would still play that game. It's just fine. I don't know. It was just a weird puzzle solving game. Um, that all being said, I had this really early connection with, with technology and eventually we had the early laptops that had dial up capability. Um, so you can dial, dial into PBSs, you can dial into CompuServe. Um, and for those again, that are younger than us, um, you don't know about area codes and toll charges. If you really don't have the last mile of all telecom works, it was absorbent in fees. And so, yeah, those, those $700 phone bills um, from your grandmother's place when you were calling back to New York City, uh, BBS numbers were, were – there was some talking to us about that. And I got into the early 90s. You know, it was, it was Prodigy. It was AOL. It was then early internet. And with folks like Gavin Singh that really helped – shape me to understand like what enterprise networking is going to be. You know, computers are funds in the toy for you, Doug, but these are business machines. You know, and I think I grew up in a warrior that was very IBM country focused. And they said, you know, well, Doug, you, you, you have this strong, I mean, clearly you've been on the forefront of this. Like you're a kid that understands computers. You're, you got to go work for IBM. Why? Mainframes. And I got like Gavin and others going to be going, it's not mainframes. And Gavin worked at IBM. He was just like, no, it's it's the end user's equipment going. They go back and think about my parents. I'm like, right, because people are trying to do their jobs better and faster. It's not the back end. Those, those are, that's not where the growth is. And I really found there was a neglected market. So I was talking to a group of people at a local business event, actually for my parents' PR company, about this new thing 
it still has really taken off. It's called the internet. And you can set up these home pages. I don't know if you've heard of these. Um, they come with little pictures of construction men. <laughs> oh yeah. You can, you can, uh, I always think about Homer Simpson's webpage because that was just, there's many animated things. You can, when it was, I think it was, it might've been HTML one. It was right around there when you start animating stuff. Oh, and the blink tag. Beautiful. Yeah. It was the funny part is because I pretty much do that now that I think about it still, it's just memes that are animated images. <laughs> so I, I really, I do, I don't grow up. Um, but you know, we were talking about how this, this was going to revolutionize, um, communications because you can, you can put out this, uh, dynamic pages, you can change them. You know, marketing at that time is you, you had to get all this, um, desktop publishing. Remember that? Oh yeah. Done. And then you'd have to, all this page maker. Have to get set. And then you had to make sure that somebody can print it. You had it in the right art format. And I mean, this still exists in printing now for the most part, but it was, it was so much more annoying. And so I said, well, what if you just had like a brochureware site that was up and people connect to it? We were like, at this meeting, like, ah, oh, we have no idea what you're talking about. This all seems cool. And one of the guys pulled me aside and this became one of those fundamental He's like, look, you clearly know your stuff. Most of us don't. There's a market out there for individuals and small businesses that just don't understand any of this technology, but we're being kind of forced into adapting and using it. And we know we need it, but we don't know how to support it. We just want to do our job. I don't want this to be a headache. Can you come support us? And that's when I started computer house calls and it was December 94 uh, and then really into you know, 95. And that it was you know, really the business of going out and helping folks get their computers up. And it was initially for home users and small businesses and it grew into enterprises. And I was doing enterprise support for companies like Merrill Lynch and other companies in different different capacities. But it was it was really that moment where somebody said, I get what you're saying, but you're, you're, you're years ahead of where we are. We need you to roll this back and really find the need what's now. And I was like, oh, that'll be easy. That, that I got. That's, I'm, I want the challenging thing. But then it became the challenging thing of running a business. And as a late teen, uh, early 20s, my friends are off at college and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to start a business. And that was, that was a real challenge, but it was something I'm doing again, you know, I don't know how many, you know, 30 years later. So one of the things, opportunistic, being in the right place at the right time, in the right era, was a huge piece yeah. of it. Um, I was in a, uh, I was in a, um, a mentoring call with somebody who was looking to get into the infosec field just the other day, and he asked a great question. He said, "Dan, what what is a characteristic that you think is really important for someone coming into information security?" And my immediate off the cuff answer was curiosity. Like the the ability and desire to be able to dig into something, but then I realized that we're kids, people growing up that are younger than us. And I'm beware, I'm going to have an old man shaking his fist at the cloud moment. Um, haven't did not have the accessibility or the freedoms that came in the era you just described, where poking around did not have consequences, where the rails were not given and doing the wrong thing didn't end up derailing your hopes at college and or career in a way that I think many people see today. So that kind of curiosity or the ability to be curious uh, has changed in the last 30 years, at least in my view, curious on your perspective and how people can still be curious or get that kind of curiosity or experience in a world with much bigger rails. 
Yeah, there, there's a couple a couple parts of that 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 I think about. You know, you know, that, I get that question too. Um, and it, I think curiosity, problem solving, is often how I, I, I you know, is that ability of saying, you know, wait a minute, you know, healthy dose of skepticism. Even mm-hmm. when I've had my staff, they'll do things like, "Why did you do this?" Because you told me to. I was like, "Okay, well, why did you do it?" <laughs> now, what's the underlying purpose? I don't know. I was like, okay, that's fine. Then we need to discuss that. Um, you need to understand the fundamentals, and particularly when we're doing a lot of forensic and IR work. Well, we ran this tool, we got this result. Okay. Why? Well, the tool said so. I was like, okay, let's, so who testifies if I have to take this to court? The tool or me? <laughs> you. You know, in this idea that you need to be able to explain how this works. So it comes to two things of critical thinking and communications, the ability to articulate these things and these findings and why you're doing things. So I think there's kind of two sides to that that have too often broken down as to two different things, but I think they're really uh, symbiotic more than separate points. So I think when people ask that, it's like, yeah, you have to be curious and you have to be able to communicate. But I, I do agree is that it's the access to this stuff. Now, I'd, I'd say on one hand, people have more access to stand-up test environments there's more free training out there. I mean, a lot of people say, what are some of the certs I can get? And I think of one of the forums or Slack channels we're on, people are saying, you know, or at least I try to encourage them, like, look, if you're, if you're out of work now, don't sit on your ass. This is a great opportunity to work on yourself. There is so much free material out there, certifications, things you can learn on. Just go to, you know, I'm not advocating AWS over GCP or Azure or anything, but AWS has a bunch of free training out there. You can get your AWS certifications. You can get on a, a, the right trajectory to change your career now and learn about things in ways that you've never done before. Splunk has a bunch of free stuff. I was really encouraged by that. So there's a ton of stuff out there. But it does happen in kind of a safe environment. It's a little too sanitized for me at times because it's really hard to break things. Right. And to your to your point, it's like I think it's it's tough now because – you learn from making mistakes um, and you really have to think into that. Okay. It's not getting frustrated why something didn't work. It's that curiosity. Okay. Why didn't it work? What do I have to do? But being willing to push the button, even though you don't know what it's going to do. There's nothing worse than a button that says, do not push to me. (laughs) Whether it be on a person or a keyboard, you know, it's, I have to know, I have to see where that's going to go. I'll keep that in mind for when I try to get you framed for something. Oh, it's just, it's easy. I mean, yeah. Uh, it, it's just, to me, it's, 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 that's well, what's going to happen. And to me, that's the heart of this, that old MIT, early Berkeley hacker mentality thing. I mean, granted, I can't grow a beard and my glasses are not as thick, but, you know, I think, I think about it in that sense of, you know, when we talk about hackers as being that kind of curiosity, that kind of thing, like, don't take things at face value. You know, break things down, put it together, make it better, keep going. Like, how does this work? Why did we, you did it too? I know we have never discussed it, but I guarantee you took a part of ECR one time when you were young. I mean, we, we all did. Just one? We, why? Yeah, exactly. Just one. And the thing is, I was fortunate enough to have a father that did it alongside with me. But I mean, you know, I just, I just had to need to know how these things work. Right. Um, I think that's kind of lost, and people just assume they work. Well, we also live in a world now in which taking them apart is not physically possible or likely or that you can get into legal. and understand what it's doing. Well, and, and without law, I mean, oh, jailbreaking legal, yeah. laws. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the level of that now, it's like you were encouraged in the early 
And when I talked about those early areas of, of even all there was all this IP litigation on the operating systems, the BIOS is the hardware. There was, I mean, look at, you know, Wozniak and, and Jobs were going to freaking, you know, we're building stuff out of the garage from going to computer shit. I mean, it was the community was there to fucking break things, solder things, blow things up, and then put it in this key, figure out why things are how to make it better. I do have a fear of that. That's almost too sanitary now. Mm -hmm. It's like we see kids that don't go to the playground and just do pickup sports anymore. They go to organized sports and they can't deal with things that don't go their way. And I'm concerned about that in our industry. We're like, this was supposed to happen this way. We trained for it. I'm like, yeah, you trained for the, the expected, but what about the unexpected? You never trained for that. That is cybersecurity. It never works. IT never works. And you've got to be able to think around that. And if you just sit there staring at the screen, wondering why things not working and going to somebody else, you're, you're not, you're not built for this. <laughs> it's funny. I can deal with that just fine in, uh, in tech, in my technology and security work. But when I went to Chipotle the other day and they were out of chicken and said, no, we can't give you cilantro. I was absolutely floored and didn't actually know how to respond. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess we all have our, to, we all have I'll our topics. Store, yeah. <laughs> so Doug, you came into the field, you know, early on. Did you have along the way a view of what information security would look like, let's say in the 2020s or, you know, 20, 30 years down the road? Um, what did that picture look like? Well, I mean, I, again, I grew up with movies like war games, uh, sneakers i've always wanted to be robert redford in, in every movie he's ever been in um because i fancy myself as this suave charming guy with blue eyes uh, although i did meet him one time at one of the maryland conferences working he's much shorter than i am i found that out so i had that on him so <laughs> win for doug i uh, know but it was you know it was this idea of, of this kind of coolness with it this this Look, I'm a punk too, right? And it's always about questioning authority and questioning. I think there's so much of the hacker community and punk community, the ethos of it is saying, well, hold on, we're not taking this advisor. It's not like fuck authority to say fuck authority. It's like, well, why should we trust you? Like, make, you know, trust is earned, not given. Right. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think there's a fundamental of that, right? You know, with security is trust but verify. And I think that's kind of a lot of things. I, I want to test things. I want to make sure things are working because I know things don't work as, as planned all the time. And I think early on, I saw that in you know, the technology space and as, as some of the folks that were getting in trouble in the late 80s and 90s, and I followed them on various things and probably listened to what you know, I consider the first cybersecurity podcast was off the hook. You know, It was a radio show, and they followed the exploits of the various Kevins. Um, <laughs> and you, know, you, you saw these things, and it was like, oh, wow, okay. I can do some of this stuff and I know the bulletin board dialers for all these things. I know where I can get into most things. I've word dialed enough where I know where, uh, again, living in IBM country, there's plenty of AS400s ahead, you know, there was, but I'm not going to cross that line. Like I just, you know, there was, there was too many things that, that I had a fear and aversion to, but I, I got the, the concept of it. And I really focused more on the business side and networking side because I said, okay, it's, it's, you know, at some point there was, you know, the, the famous, kind of saying, you know, hacking for fun and profit if that came out, you know, the DEF, early DEFCON age. But it's like, I always thought about it as profit. There's always a business. I mean, there's always some support of the technology. And if you have to find the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities, it's because I don't want it to break. And so I always had that mentality. I always carry the, how is this going to fall apart kind of thing and test the <laughs> systems, even when I was deploying them. 
So I really kind of saw that, I'd say in the late 90s, early 2000s, particularly as the internet was coming up, I found myself doing a lot of security work, whether I knew it or not. There was a lot of endpoint malware remediation due to insecure browsers, um, binaries that would just get pulled over for free music, video games, you name it. Or people that purposely um, installed 20 different uh, toolbars such that their web browser a, was this big when it was all done with the toolbars. so many businesses and households that I supported that I would explain, like, you got to gotta watch your kids, your teenagers, they're the ones installing this. Why well, I understand we have not, like, to the point where the computer went boot and I had to, like, you know, get my, my DOS 6.22 boot disk going, you know, command line it to the, the auto exec bad files, take out all the preloaded drivers, go into like the, I mean, it was just a lot of editing of stuff that got loaded in because, yeah, sure. Every, every, every application needs access to root because why wouldn't you? Um, and, you know, I, I found myself doing a lot of remediation, setting permission, but network security too, certainly as, as, as the internet came up and, you know, particularly as I was dealing with enterprise customers in a highly regulated environment, you know, access to the outside world was carefully managed. So I had to build systems for that. And so I, I got the concept. I, I just saw that being that the framework of it is, is this idea that security is going to have to support the business. Um, and it's part of this. It's not this, the hacker stuff's fun. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's, it, it's gotta be more than cool. You know, I'm a, I'm a conscious, gentle capitalist at heart. I believe there should be rules around here, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're living in a world where businesses are driving a lot of things and to support them, you have to understand where their weaknesses are and exploit them for good on behalf of the business to show, Hey, look, you know, here's, here's where you have a problem, not just, you know, lighting a house on fire and saying, well, look, you know, you were, you were vulnerable. Like I, to me, that's never going to be the cool part of hacking. It's just trashing. So are we on the right track now? as an industry and career field? I don't, I don't think. There and is I use that. the term right in, in purposeful, you know, corporate air quotes. Christ, the proper, within a degree, with a degree of certainty council, I can say that we are. <laughs> in one standard yeah. deviation. My, my deposit, you want to depose me for the rest of this? I'll run circles around. No, um, <laughs> it's, it's, no, no, I still think there's too much of focus. You know, one of the challenges that I had and, the vendor space when I was working there were really strong security leaders with inside the organization that were very customer facing that would say to me, well, Doug, you're not, you're not technical enough. Okay. What made you think that? Well, we haven't seen it. I was like, cause I don't flex on that anymore. My, Oh, trust me. I'm arrogant. I'm a know-it-all. If you want me to do that, I'll run circles around all you guys. I have no problem doing that. That's not where my career path's going because I've done it all. And for me, the next challenges are communicating to the business, ele elevating business risk in ways that are digestible and help support the business. And I think a lot of that cool kids mentality, the, you know, the cool table at lunch that exists with a lot of the cybersecurity gatekeepers and hackers is just, is killing us. It's this attitude of this is the way we always done it. And, you know, Everybody has to be able to do this. And I'm like, no, we're at degrees of specialization. You know, figure out what your base skills are going to be, and then you're going to have to fork and be on something special. I've had been fortunate to be able to do it all, but really, again, my area of specialization right now is in cybersecurity leadership and mitigation and understanding the business risk. Um, you know, granted, I have a house full of tech, 
but I don't have to prove myself on that anymore. And I feel this need that still exists within the community that you have to have some level of street cred. Like I have to go cap somebody in the street because, you know, to maintain street cred is like ridiculous. And too much of that's permanent. And there's this idea of, well, everybody's got to be the same. Everybody's got to be well-rounded. Everybody's, yeah, everybody's got to be a full stack engineer. Everybody's got to be a full stack, you know, secure. That's just not pragmatic. It's not possible. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot when you look at these job recs that want all these skills and experience and they don't ask for things like we talked about. They don't screen for curiosity. They don't screen for communication skills. The best hires that I've had are the pen testers that came from audio engineering. I mean, Jan Petrov, who had edited a lot of the first series of his podcast, he came from audio engineering. I was very fortunate to get to know him because he edited like Coldplay albums and he got to work on the early, you know, podcasts of the cybersecurity interviews. But he had that ability to think through things and solve problems. And now he's in a very great place and higher up with the, uh, with the financial service institution. And on paper, he, he wouldn't seem hireable. Hell, if you look at my job and what I'm doing now, my resume couldn't get me hired. I don't have college degrees in this. I don't, I've let most of my search labs. I don't know how many times I've thought about getting the SIS tried and just, just like, what's the point? Like, I can do this. Like, I don't, who am I trying to prove? And so I think there's still too much of a focus on that, that this has this, this gatekeeping and proving it and this inability to look outside of technical fields because what's changing with cybersecurity? It's not technical anymore. That's a component. We're not a product of IT. It's part of our makeup, but we need to be focused on the business, how we support the business. Doug Lahota, who I worked with at Splunk, I've totally stolen without credit and attribution enough times, but an analogy he used that I use now in presentations, particularly around resiliency, is that you know brakes on a car are not there to stop the car. They're there to enable that vehicle, that high-performance machine, to operate at the safest possible speeds and perform at its best capacity so it doesn't crash and burn. And I think there's too much of this, this idea that's, you know, cybersecurity is this IT function that's going to slow people down. I'm like, we got to stop that. We have to move cybersecurity up the balance sheet and be more of a business enabler. And to do that, we need to talk to them better. I can't tell you how many times I've been in organizations where they don't get it. They don't understand. And the people saying that are high level executives that either have a cybersecurity or IT function that are complaining about the board, the CEO, the CFO. Uh, the COO, whoever, somebody doesn't get it. I'm like, do you think it might be you? You think the problem might be on your side of the table? Nobody gives a shit about your Splunk dashboards on the business side. They want to know what is happening to the business, where the risks are, where we're making acceptable risks, turn it into dollars and cents, not bits and bytes. And we are still too focused on that. We still want to live in this comfort zone of being too, too technical. Which is so ironic to me because the roots of this was to get outside your comfort zone, to be curious, to explore, not to get you know complacent. I feel too many people on the on the higher end are complacent and keeping gatekeeping for people that should be coming in from various fields out. Thank you for joining us for another part of the Return of the Cybersecurity Interviews podcast. Join us next time as we dig into what I'm doing now and why I think it's going to change the industry. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.